Welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast with Matthew Eels. There was an incident here yesterday involving one of your students, Hannah Electra. You know you're not welcome here. You need to leave. She's been expelled from five schools in three years. Tell them the rumours about Mum aren't true. Now that the famous Leonard is here, the guest of honour, we can all tuck in, eh? Bon appetit, eh? What the fuck are you guys doing here? That girl up there? I know her. What's your name? Hannah. What's your last name? Electra. <laughs> Should she be considered dangerous? the trailer for Rampage Electra. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode of the Cinema Australia podcast, I'm joined by Rampage Electra writer, director and producer Hasib Kushkaki, who takes us on a deep dive into the making of this independently produced action thriller gem, which was shot throughout many Perth locations, including the historic Fremantle Prison, where a majority of the film was shot. Rampage Electra follows an outcast teenager, Hannah, who finds herself framed as a violent delinquent owing to the undisclosed history of her family's troublesome past. As 17-year-old Hannah is coming to terms with the revelation of her mother's circumstances, she witnesses the untimely death of her father. A story of wrongdoing and revenge, Hannah's longing for a maternal kinship fuels her arbitrary decisions and drives a revolt into an uncontrollable rampage. Rampage Electra stars Michaela Levy as Hannah Electra, who people will recognise from her breakout performance in Jub Clare's recently released Sweet As. The film co-stars James Broadhurst, Fiona Cooper and Vanessa Cobbs, who are all great in this film. In this interview, Hasib discusses the making of Rampage Electra, as well as as his move to Perth four years ago, the cultural impacts of growing up in Germany and the US, and how Rolf Dahir's Bad Boy Bubby and Alex Lorien's Good For Nothing Blues inspired his filmmaking career. It was a great joy to welcome Perth-based filmmaker Hasib to the Cinema Australia podcast recently. Hasib is a filmmaker who I have a tremendous amount of respect for and a filmmaker whose career I'll be keeping a close eye on over the next few years. 
This chat truly is a great insight into making a grand independent feature film, which I'm sure listeners will get a lot out of. Rampage Electra will screen at Lunar Cinemas in Leaderville on Friday, July 7, but prior to that, guests of Supernova in Perth will be able to catch a Rampage Electra panel at the Expo on Saturday, June 24. Keep an eye on cinemaaustralia.com.au for more screening announcements. Anyway, enjoy. Hasib, thank you for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very exciting times. Um, Over the past 10 years, I've spoken with hundreds of Australian filmmakers, uh, including greats like Justin Kurzel, Robert Connolly, Jennifer Kent, uh, Sophie Hyde, all these filmmakers who are at the top of their game. But I'm never as excited to be chatting with those filmmakers as I am to be chatting with a truly independent filmmaker like yourself, Um, someone someone who's developed their craft by getting their hands dirty and making feature films without the support of big funding bodies and studios. So thank you again for uh, taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, uh, For the sake of transparency, I think we should let uh, listeners know that I programmed Rampage Electra at the WA Made Film Festival recently, which uh, I'm the festival director of. Um, That screening was the film's world premiere. Um, How did it all go? Well, first of all, thank you very much for recognizing uh, our team. Uh, And we were very excited uh, from the moment you sent me the email. I uh, shared it with my close comrades that are uh, uh, part of Dalai Lama. And they were very, very, very like uh, honored. And they felt much gratitude towards, uh, you know, your your choice in words and um, the uh, the event itself, because we went to a few events prior to our premiere. Yeah. Uh, it was just um, a very special, unique uh, experience. It was the place was buzzing every night. Uh, we love dressing up, going and just kind of like socializing and mingling, talking to people that, oh, I think that's that person. Let's go over and talk to that person. And then you go over there and you just kind of just like, hey, what's up? And you have so much, um, you know, room to just like break the ice without being uh, so forced. It's just like, hey, you're a person that I recognize and I want to talk to you. And it just made it very easy to do that. And uh, by the time it was like our uh, premiere, uh, that Friday night, it just we just felt like we like we're just like seasoned veterans just <laughs> over there. Like, oh, this is this is where the popcorn is, and you know, and this is where the drinks are. So it was, it was um, and uh, that one side, the premiere itself, it was like to me, it was a surreal experience, absolutely surreal, just enjoying it or watching it for the first time, not being able to press pause, mm-hmm. you know, and being like, wait, there's something that needs to be fixed there. So. Um, from our perspective, it was an absolute pleasure to have our uh, to watch our film at the film festival that you put together, and that must have been nuts. How 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 many months of planning does it take? That, the, the festival itself takes, uh, I reckon, a good six months to to get it to that stage. And yeah. um, you know, Jasmine and I both work full time jobs. Um, uh, you know, we live our we live se- very separate lives away from the festival. Um, we, we've both got our own things going on. Obviously, I've got Cinema Australia and, and Jasmine has her full-time job as well. Um, yeah. yeah, so it takes so much effort to get to that point. And this year we ran it for 10 days. 
And that's the first time we've ever done that. And by the end of it, I can tell you that we certainly felt it. But um, now we both go away for uh, for six months and we don't think about the festival and then we jump back into it uh, halfway through the year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It must be so, so exciting too, like, you know, uh, getting ready for the next one. I can, only, yeah. I can only imagine, you say you're taking six months off, but there are ideas that are just like flowing around your it's mind. just constant constant yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's hard to sleep sometimes <laughs> but <laughs> um uh, so through blood sweat and tears you've made rampage electra then all of a sudden you're sitting down in a cinema to watch the film with a packed house um yeah. the lights go down and the film begins to play can you describe that feeling as a writer director and producer of a movie yeah, well, in all honesty, my feelings are just like, oh, I, I hope the sound comes through because that's all I'm worried about is just uh, the presentation of it. And, uh, you know, like you said, blood, sweat and tears. So it's so important for me that, you know, you, you work so hard and to get this content and then the, to, to polish it and to make sure it's presentable the way you want. That's all that was going through my mind is... Because that opening scene, the first scene at Siena, um, like 80% of the crew wasn't there that day when we were filming. And I was like, we're going to film no matter what. And um, this guy named uh, Geraldo Rodriguez, I believe, he messaged me. He was like this uh, actor from Brazil. Um, and he messaged me like, Hey, I just want, uh, somebody told me to be in touch with you because you do uh, films and you're just a person in the thing. And I was like, look, I don't have a lot of time to talk or hang out, but if you want to talk or hang out, just join us on set. And this was like two months prior or a wow. month prior. Yeah. I was like, just join us this day because like, if you want to talk, sure, we can just talk to it. And then that turned out to be the day that nobody showed up. And then I, and then this person just randomly shows up with his wife. And I was just like, what are the chances that I would told them to come this day and then afterwards no one's showing up? And then they became the sound people. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did they stay yeah. on the on the shoot? They stayed on the shoot. They wow. uh they completely stayed there the whole day. And um it was like one of those things where like uh we needed help and then help just came out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere, these two lovely Brazilian people just came and just worked the sound for us that day. And um, so it was tricky having people that never worked or done sound before to get certain sounds. So I was so to, to to sum it up in the beginning of the movie, all I was feeling was I hope the sound isn't as bad as I think it is. But you know we did we put a lot of work into it, so it's getting better. So which yeah. which is um we'll we'll get into uh into the, we'll go deep into the filming of rampage electra soon but how many times have you seen it uh, prior to this screening and you know other than the sound were you picking up on different things as well does it feel like a a different experience when you're watching it for the first time with a big crowd uh yeah absolutely the the, the biggest experience was feeling the audience's reaction yeah. in times as for me because this is more as as a writer now where i was like when the audience reacts or responds in any sort of way, for me as a writer, the places that I intended for people to have a reaction, to see that line up and and and, and happen is, is a very um, validating feeling because it's like, okay, I did my job as a writer to make people feel this way. And when you're in the when you're in a packed house, sold out audience, 
no one can take those experience and moments away from you. The, the audience reaction, that's the most real thing. Everyone can interpret things afterwards, but in that moment, that's something as a filmmaker, no one can take from you is yeah. the live reaction of the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And that well, to me definitely stand out. Were there any uh, reactions that you weren't expecting? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and that was the crazy part is um, Detective Adams played by Vanessa Cobbs. Um, there's a couple of scenes in her, um, uh, the cheese in that the, the audience was uh, laughing in some serious moments. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 uh, and um, I, their, their emotional attachment to her character. Um, I, I told her when I first gave her the roles, I looked at her, I was like, look, this is an exposition role. You know, this isn't like uh, like a lead or anything. This is just literally your character exists yeah. to help the audience understand the movie and make sure they're not lost. <laughs> And she was like, okay, like absolutely. I'll but the audience ended up loving her so much. And that to me is something very special because she put her, she just, you know, uh, there's this character, and then she just added ingredients of herself and she became a favorite. Like my little sister, she was 13, right? I was like, so who was your favorite character? She's just like, uh, the cop. Like, Which one? Uh the, the girl cop. I was like, why? She was like, because she's cool. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. no more questions. You yes. know, and that's I think, um, yeah, that's that's a really, really, really cool feedback to get from like a 13-year-old child. It's like, I like her because she's cool. Yeah, that's like, awesome. That's great. Uh Vanessa has a great uh, presence about her as well. Um yes, I find uh what watching films in a big audience, and I don't know if this is Australia's um specific, but um sometimes when we feel uncomfortable, we laugh. And I find that, you know, during horror films or even a film like Nitram or something like that, um, we, we tend to laugh when we feel uncomfortable. Yes, a hundred percent. And that's I in the, one of the later scenes when people laughed in the moment where I was like, Oh, I thought it was supposed to be serious. Yeah, I think you that's why people laugh because yeah. people were very uncomfortable yeah. and then they just couldn't believe what was happening and then Vanessa delivers a line that's just like oh no I'm still good and it's like oh she's still there like <laughs> her, you know her spirit's not broken oh it's 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 good old detective adams you know and i think that really allowed people to just kind of laugh through their yeah uncomfortable yeah. feelings and yes. yeah you're spot on with that yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to uh, a bit earlier in your career and in your life. Uh, you grew up in Germany and the US. How, yes. uh, when, and how did you end up in Perth? So I ended up in Perth about maybe a little over four years now because time's taken. And uh, I moved. I visited a few times in my life because my my family. You have an extensive family. All my grandparents are here. And um, my aunts, from everyone from my mom's side is here. Right. Like my mom has two sisters and three brothers. Yep. So they all got like three, four, five kids each, and they all live here. So it's a pretty uh, big family here. My family, my mom and dad, they moved here about 10 years ago. And I decided to kind of just visit um a few years back and then COVID happened and, and I was just like here and I was like, look, I'm just going to get a student visa and just stay here. 
And prior to that, I was on a working holiday visa. So I was cherry picking, avocado picking, orange picking. And in like South Australia, uh, in in Victoria. Um, and then I came here, got my uh, student visa. And that was during COVID or right after COVID. And yeah, it's just, um, so I've been here yeah, for almost four years. Right, right. And um, growing up in, in Germany and the US, you know, it's two very interesting companies, uh, countries to be growing up in. What cultural impacts did growing up across uh, multiple countries have on you? Uh, I would say in Europe, uh, Germany, uh, I grew up, uh, I was, the, 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 the love for soccer was right. embedded in me. So yeah. I grew up from, from like age five, six playing soccer. Like it was just made me very, um, it, it allowed me to exercise my competitive nature <laughs> at a young age. And uh, the older I got, the more I realized I'm extremely competitive. Um, and um, <clears throat> that was the... Um, the German experience, I left when I was nine years old. So right. like year three, I was finished. And then year four, I was in America. Um, American culture, just, uh, I think what I um, got to experience in America is just the, the age that I was in uh, was just making strong connections and good friends in high school yeah. and um, making good uh, friends after high school. And then I moved around a couple of cities. I went from Tucson, Arizona to uh, Fort Lauderdale in South Florida. So I got to uh, experience, uh, um, you know, just a different city. And uh, South Florida is very populated place. So it was just, I was going somewhere that was just had so many people. And um, yeah, it was a pretty fun city. I met a lot of friends that was like, you know, I was in the rat race working and uh, just working hard and then going out with your friends and then working hard and going out with friends. And I was just like, no, I, I, I need more. So I kept, I kept moving around just to continue my evolution. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's when I left South, South Florida, I came to Perth. That's when I was like, all right, it's time to kind of like kick it in gear and do what I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, um, you must've been disappointed that uh, soccer wasn't as big in, in the U S as it was in Europe. Yeah, it was. Um, it was, yeah, it was. It was crazy because it was just very underdeveloped. But I think it's getting there eventually. Yeah. Uh, but even in in Germany, I was obsessed with like American football, what right. they call gridiron here. Yeah, so yeah, I did play um American football uh for all four years in high school, one year in college afterwards. I've even played here. Um, AFL. Yeah. No. 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 Gridiron. Oh, gridiron. Gridiron for for three years here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I unfortunately had to retire because over the course of three years, I suffered a heel spur um, oh. the first year. And then the next year I came back and I uh, broke both my thumbs. I cracked my rib cage. I got rushed to the hospital. And then to top it off, I tore my ACL, which put the cherry on top and made me retire for the rest of my life wow. at age 31 i tore my acl at age 31 <laughs> oh that was your body telling you something uh, yeah, time to give yeah. up and move into film now <laughs> yeah exactly i was like oh i guess i just gotta put all my efforts into film like yeah. it's not that's not that bad of a you know i should have just done this in the first place <laughs> um was film a, a part of your life and, and a part of your upbringing growing up yes especially when i was um 15 16 17 uh, there was like this um, community that uh, programs that we had uh, through like the like the church or the mosque uh, 
um, where they would just have these two kids that were uh, going to university at the time, they were filming and they used me and my best friend at the time as actors. And then I remember like <clears throat> we make um, these uh, short films, comedy films for the community. And uh, they just had me act in it. But then I would sit next to them while they were editing and I would sit there for hours, just watch them just edit. And and to me, it was so fascinating in that, that time. I was just like, this whole process is like the best thing in the world. Like it's the excitement of filming and sitting down and editing and then just like finally having a complete content, exporting it and then just like sitting down and then watching it with people. I was like, you know, like I was like, this is like too good to be true. And um, And then I started making music videos by myself. I started making a lot of uh, songs that I filmed and then I tried making my own like short films, but I realized it's impossible if you're the only one doing it and getting the con the quality that you want. So yeah, I guess um, it was very much involved at that late teen years, but then um, I always wanted to, I was, I was my whole life. I was like, Oh, I'm going to make movies, but you know, I had these big movie ideas, but I, but then I never was like, what do I have to do, though? Like, it was, I can't just sit here and keep saying I'm going to make movies and then not take any, like, proactive steps. So I guess, you know, once I turned 30, it was kind of like, wait, now I, I got to I got to actually do things. Yeah, to get <laughs> have to actually make something. Um, I'm always uh, curious about this question. But uh, so, you know, growing up in Germany in the U.S., do you remember watching any Australian films? Uh, did, did anything ever catch your attention? No, like Australian films. Um, the only the only one I can think of, I mean, is is uh, Crocodile Dundee. That's, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a classic, you know. That that's uh, that's one that sticks out the most. But other than that, like, um, I can't. I I be when I was in America, I wasn't really. Um, there's no films that stood out to me. And I'm trying to think. I was like, oh, this Australian film yeah. really um, stood out to me back in that that time and uh, time and age. Yeah, usually when I ask that question, people will say uh, Crocodile Dundee or Mad Max. That's the other one. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, at least you got one of them there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but since I've come here and I've kind of been paying more attention to, you know, where who's I've been paying way more attention to who's the director, who wrote it, who's the actors, and. Um, but uh, the one Australian film that amazes me is Bad Boy Bubby. Oh, yes. Yeah. That one is just absolutely nuts. It's uh, crazy. It took me two times to watch. The first time I stopped at like 15 minutes, I was like, all right. But then afterwards, all day long, the next day, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, that was actually a pretty powerful like a, it, was, it was a masterpiece and I yes. watched it, continued it. And I was like, okay, I just, you just got to make it out of like 23, 25 minute mark. Yeah. And then you're like in the clear. Uh, but yeah, I was, I think that movie is just yeah, absolutely nuts. But it is it. absolutely nuts. Uh, I spoke to Rolf to hear one time who directed that film. Really? He told, yeah. He told me that um, uh, Madonna and Johnny Depp offered to buy the rights from him because they wanted to remake it in America. Where Johnny oh Depp as um as Bad Boy Bubby and Madonna as his mother. <laughs> oh my god! 
I'm not sure what happened and why the why the deal ended up falling through, but yeah, it never eventuated. Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I don't recall the name of the actor, but that guy. That's Nicholas Hope. Yes, he's a fantastic actor. He put his heart and soul and left it all in that role because that was incredible. The, the amount of even because I'm, I'm like man, even as an actor, the the, the level that they have to they they have to endure yeah. through uh, certain scenes and like when I was filming uh, my film, some scenes I was like, oh my god, like. Is everyone here okay with what's happening right now? And everyone's like, "Yeah, we're 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 good to go." Like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, "All right, like this is nuts." But like, that's not even like as far as like not even halfway as close as like some of the some of the stunts or some of the scenes that he had to act through. So I'm yeah. absolutely insane. But that's that's what I what I strive for to yeah. film scenes that have moments where the audience goes, this is nuts, yeah. you know? So just to give people a taste of that. Yes. Um, Rolf has a new film coming up soon as well called The Survival of Kindness. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, so you arrived here, you came here in 2019 and uh, you started your studies at TAFE. Um, how yeah. important was it for you to start networking straight away? Was that a huge priority for you? Uh, yeah, well, it, it, it's whether <clears throat> it was funny because like yesterday I was just hanging out with some of the, uh, the crew for that we met three years ago uh, in TAFE and, uh, they were just talking about it yesterday. They were like, Oh, I'll, I'll never forget. Like it was like the first or second week in class. You just stand up and go, Hey guys, I want to make short films and, um, we're going to do it. So guys step forward, let's make it happen. And he was like, but that was, and then he, my friend Juan Sarmiento, the he's a filmmaker as well, and he had uh, his short film at your festival, uh, "This Is Life." And oh yes, yep. DOP from um the other film that he did, which is "And Nothing Hurt." Uh, so yeah, he he remembered he was in that class, and he was like, like that was the moment I was like, okay, I'm just gonna follow this train wherever this train is going. I'm just gonna hop on it and see where it goes. And this is three years later now, and and he was telling me about like, uh. How, my approach in that class and me, I'm like, really? That's what I said? Like, you know, like uh, completely oblivious to it. But, you know, it was very important to me because I knew the importance of um, just finding w at least one person to film with you. Because uh, to me, I was like, that's all you need is just one person that shares your mindset. And then the rest really, literally is just don't look back and just keep filming. And um, it was when I met, James Dudfield, I was like, because I saw he was uh, this uh, huge cinephile who just loved movies. And he was pretty good on the, he was very good on the edits. Uh, I loved editing as well, but he just, you know, loved it more. So I was like, all right, you, and then, and yeah, we just got together. We filmed like a sh one short film per week. And then, uh, and then he would just stay up all night and edit it. And by 2, 3 a.m., we'd have like this first draft. And this became a weekly thing. And people were like, this is nuts. And then, uh, yeah, th so we found each other. And it was very important for me to find each other. And uh, we're still together, which is, I think, the key to our success. Just then you mentioned that you you guys made a short film a week. To some people listening out there, that, that sounds like an impossible 
feet. But, um, you know, I've been onto your, uh, the Dolly Lama um, YouTube page and most of them are up there. How did, how did you accomplish this? Tell us a bit about those short films. Because they're, they're, when you say short film, they're very short, right? Yeah, yeah. they're like, you know, two to two to three minutes yeah. each. Um, I think my some some of them are like uh, they, they we have a couple of ten minute ones. Um, I mean the first premiere we had fourteen short films that we had, and then we had um, it was about a fifty five minute runtime. Wow! Uh, you know this was like the first year we got together. It was like that semester. <laughs> it was a one semester course, and the first beginning of the semester we met each other. By the end of the semester we had fourteen short films, fifty five minute runtime. <laughs> Unbelievable. Of, yeah, and and then people in like other classes were like complain, and they were like, "We want we signed up for this course, and we want to do what they're doing." And they're, like literally, this happened, and then they were like, "Guys, that's just what they're doing on their own time. Yeah, like it yeah. has nothing to do with the." And the people in advanced diploma were like, "These guys are just cranking it out." And granted, like the quality of our work was definitely not up to par to what like the advanced diploma was requiring them yeah. for their content. Mm-hmm. But the idea of just being, just showing that the, there are no limitations to creating content and, and sharing it with people. There was just, you, you hit record, you make sure someone's standing in front of the camera and, and that's it. And, and, and to minimize it to that is, you no know, for, for me was exercising the reality of the situation that there is so much preparation that can happen, but then there's also just hit record and film and then see what you can just piece together. Yeah. And, and that was this, you know, like we started with I care, which is uh, a couple that uh, guys trying to be funny. The girl's like, stop trying to be funny. And he just like shuts down and everybody starts being like, like the girl was like, no one cares. And then <laughs> all these guys randomly stand up from everywhere going, I care, I care, I care too. You know, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like a, a Spartacus moment. Yes, exactly. Everyone's like <laughs> unifying yeah. over like this guy that's just got like, you know, just got uh, shattered. And uh, so, so uh, yeah, and then just one after the other, one after the other. And I remember I would just like stay up and write and be like, okay, here comes the next one. And I told him, I was like, whoever wants to write one, like, you know, the, the, there's a furnace that's burning right now. So whatever you throw in there is going to get made. Wow. And, and 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 so just write something and uh and i think a lot of people like juan took the opportunity to write uh he wrote a, a couple of short films but it wasn't like um everything i'm doing but it came to a point where i was the only one that was just like showing up the next day being like here's a new script here's a new script um yeah and everyone took advantage and for me it was like a free film school not yes. free not free. Not free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To me, it was like my own film school, like yeah. that I went to, just making twenty-eight short films with these people, like with my group. It's the best way to learn. It's the it's, best way to learn. I've learned so much that now I'm like so excited because so much I know now that I can apply for the next go. Yeah. Yes. Um. Uh. How, so, how far into your studies were you before you formed the company Dolly Lama, and and where did the name come from? Can you tell us a bit about that? It came from the first uh, short film. Mm. Um, James Dudfield, he um, has these uh, homemade dolly tracks. And uh, he has like these like white pipelines, these white pipes uh, for irrigation plumbing, interior irrigation plumbing or whatever. 
and um, he's two of those, and he has like a uh, square wooden board, and he put like uh, wheels on the <clears throat> on the corner of each, and then it would just slide on the put the platform, and then he put the camera tripod on there, and then we'd have like this <clears throat> the homemade dolly track. And uh, I remember we were walking to uh, just after the film shoot, we were like, "Oh my god, we filmed something! Yay, we got all the shots." And we we're walking, and then uh, we were like, "Oh, well, we should name our group something. What are we going to name ourselves?" And then I was like, "Well, we got the Dolly tracks." So I was like, "All right, Dolly Lama." And I was just like, "It was like a wordplay," and it just it just came out. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "It's Dolly Lama," and everybody was just like, "Holy snaps! Like that's that's it." So yeah, that that that's been that. And, it's such uh, a great name. <clears throat> Fantastic. Yeah. No, we're we're very excited to the fact that it's still stuck. We never changed it, and it's still Dolly Lama, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so looking back on those short films, I took uh, took a look at them yesterday on on YouTube. You act in quite a few of the shorts. Was acting something that you were interested in, or, or I behind the camera? I love acting. I love acting so much. I'm just waiting for someone to produce something to make me the lead, so I don't have to direct. <laughs> oh, wow! Wow! Produce, yeah. Just someone do something and make me the lead, so I can just show up and completely just um just uh have a great time on set because every time like when i'm producing directing i'm like got my serious hat on and i'm just like just moving and i can just see these some of these uh, actors especially james broadhurst he just just show up and just like complete chilled out la 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 everything's good <laughs> and just kind of just like joking around with everyone and i'm looking at him like it's not i i, I can't joke around with you right now and I want to, and he just completely just loves it because he himself is a filmmaker as well. So I can tell he knows the the the, the both sides of the coin. It's yeah. like when you're the, when you got the hat on, you don't have time for this nonsense. But we don't have it on. You're just like now watch me, like have get get like my share back. You know, like so. Um, yeah, I love acting. I absolutely love it, and I um. But I hate acting and directing. It's like yeah. the biggest nightmare ever. Yes, yeah. Um, I love seeing your little cameos in these films, and you know you're great in in um, uh, This Is Life, and you've also got your small little Alfred Hitchcock style cameo in Rampage Electra as well. Um, yeah, so, you. so at what point? So you've made all these short films. Um, you know, you've got your crew together now. At what point did you know that you were ready to start making Rampage Electra? Um. It was right after I watched uh, Alex Lorian's feature, uh, Good for Nothing Blues. Wow. It was, it, I remember going to the theater at the Luna yeah. at the premiere and watching that and yeah. just, and just uh, seeing him. I'm like, look at this. This guy just went out there and he just did it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking back, I'm like, we have two screenings that's um, almost, under two hours worth of content that two hours instead of being 28 different short films if it was just one film it's the same amount of runtime that we could potentially have like why don't we have that and i remember after watching uh, good for nothing blues i was like like ready or not here i come and i remember for me it was that moment and it was amazing because during the whole production of rampage electra Alex Lorian was a, like a focal member of the crew. He was, wow. yeah, he he was there for like the, uh, we, we were at a high school for three days 
And he was there. That's when the first time I met him helping out with lighting, he was like the gaffer. Um, and uh, I got a chance to meet him and oh my God, his passion for film, yes. his absolute um, presence on set was, you know, for me being a very competitive person, being like, who does this other film? But right away, like it all went out the window, like right away, because I, he's a workhorse. He was like, would not stop for nothing. Like I always like, okay, I'm going to bust my ass and make sure that like, if these Dolly tracks are like, we rented them at this point, it wasn't the homemade ones anymore. It was like these big giant, like nine meter long tracks that came apart and the school is massive. So we had to move around and carry everything. And, and then this is a lot of like labor and, mm -hmm. I just saw like who was next to me the whole time, just trying to like outperform me. It was Alex Lorian. Really? Yeah. He, he is an absolute unit. Yeah. And uh, every single time. And then from that day on, I remember I was like, bro, bro, like, like anytime you want, you're welcome on set. And he was throughout the whole production of Rampage Electra. He was there the days that he could be there. So he was a big, and, and that to me was one of the fun parts about producing it. It's just, working together with other independent filmmakers. But yeah, to answer your question, what got me started was watching that feature. And I remember presenting it to everybody like, hey guys, we're making a feature. And everybody's like, we're not ready. <laughs> we're not ready. I was like, ready or not, man, doesn't matter. We're making it. Yeah. You know, this is before I had wrote the script. I absolutely love that story. That is so great to hear because I, I think other filmmakers should look to uh, good for nothing blues as inspiration as well and now you know rampage electra uh, electra of course now joins that because you know these are independent films where the filmmakers behind them have just gone and done it they're not waiting yeah. for feature film bodies to give them permission uh you know just they've just you guys have just done this so i'm thrilled to hear that uh, good for nothing blues was an inspiration for you that's, that's oh, so 100 in, in like a very competitive way like yeah. i was like you know, like I, I really enjoyed the characters that he created. I really enjoyed the, the the atmosphere that he created by just that night going to the theater and seeing everyone dressed up and watching this premiere. Uh, and I was like, you know, watching it and being like, like the competitive nature was like, we can do this too. Not yeah. like not like taking the moment away from Alex Lorian's uh, accomplishment. It was more of just like, like what is holding us back right now you know nothing so like nothing. i was yeah it was a it was a huge form of inspiration and uh, for our listeners out there uh, good for nothing blues is available to watch on vimeo i believe and uh, there may be a few other ways to watch it too so just check out their facebook page to yeah see i believe it. yeah he he sells uh, the blu-ray copies yes blu-rays yes that's right yeah. I, um, I bought a, i bought a couple of from him just oh, to excellent support um, the local industry you're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. So, uh, so tell us about writing Rampage. Uh, where did this idea come from? Oh, the idea itself came from um, a short film that we did uh, about like this revenge story, um, kind of using like samurai swords and blood splatters, and kind of just whip panning the camera. And then kind of like uh, adding the VFX of the blood splatters and realizing how simple it was, you know, just as long as you kind of uh, cover the main points of where the, where the blood splatter is and where the camera ends up. And it was just so much fun. And um, that 
inspired it, but it didn't really end up being like the the the, the main uh, essence of the movie. There, though there are some like uh, action scenes, the the story itself, it I just, um, it's crazy because it there's a bit of um like for me like the Joker was a big like reference point wow. to the film of like this this like descension to madness where the world kind of um you start normal and then it pushes you to insanity i kind of wanted to uh write a movie where it's just you know like a worst case scenario playing out in a beautiful way uh and that is what i kind of wanted to um yeah i, I wanted to write a story based off of that and um just you know i never really i never really questioned it of why this story i just wanted to something that that expressed uh the whole like journey to madness yeah. and i wanted to express um just being muzzled and 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 people constantly just like uh not like letting you express yourself until you have like moments where you just like lash out um and definitely I wanted to have moments in there that kind of like stand, make a stance against like cliche moments. Like there's one time when uh, Detective Walter was like, I knew there was something special about you. And then <laughs> blam, you know, it's just like those moments where I decided that someone's a guns going off is, uh, is to like kind of make a stance against like certain parts of dialogue that like, how many times do you hear a man go, I knew there was something special about you? And just being like, shut up. Bam, just, like, just, you know, or like, don't want to like, if you want to live, you do exactly as I say, like that moment. And then just like, just like, he doesn't even finish the sentence, just blam, you know, just. <laughs> and it was just specifically to make a stance against like male characters speaking this dialogue. And, uh, and it's a kind of, it's like a, for me, it's like a secret message to the world. Um, uh, it's an action thriller. Where does uh, this particular genre fit in among your favorites? Is 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 action uh, are, are action films something that you actively enjoy watching? Yeah, but my favorite genre is comedy. Like, right, a hundred percent. And and because I started watching films just because I loved 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 comedy films like more than anything in the world. And uh, uh, action thriller. Well, I guess you know the the. the it's like my second or third favorite um uh like uh for me comedy was very much uh a huge inspiration to get into the entertainment or like make making to, to filmmaking mm -hmm. uh like ben stiller's work uh is by far like one of the biggest like inspirations early on like my childhood like watching zoolander was just like you can make a grown ass man can make a movie uh, this nonsensical <laughs> yes. and and be this pure gold. And the, to me, the inspiration is just the level of commitment that you have to make as a comedian in order to execute. And that takes so much focus and just so much, so much huevos, so much like, you know, like it's, um, yeah. So the, uh, it was for me it was cool to see that the comedy it came through rampage electric yes, moments yeah, i was like it's yes slight comic relief but i was like no it was beyond that people even like 
uh, classified it as like a black humor, like a yeah. dark humor, a dark comedy, uh, which was amazing to hear as feedback. That's that's fantastic, and and especially when you've got actors like uh, Fiona Cooper, you know, running around like a mad person, and uh, I, I found her character to be quite funny at times too. Yeah, uh, when I gave her the role, I was like Fiona, this is supposed to be the most fun character in the whole movie. When I was writing this, I was like, this is the jolt of energy that yeah. the audience feels every time you're on screen. Mm. So we have to make this the most fun character. And uh, she did. She yeah. absolutely executed and people loved her. It's To me, it's just unreal seeing people being like the, the level of uh, love they have for her character. They just, she, I think it's a... Uh, even though she's like her character is insane, for some reason, a lot of people in the audience can relate with her. Yes. And what is it? What is it about it? It's 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 the it's like this. I wanted to construct this uh, story that's like here are the limits, here are the boundaries, here are the parameters, and then this character comes in and just like doesn't have has no regards for any rules or any boundaries. And I wanted that to be like a pathway for the audience to just kind of feel that that need of just like, oh, I'm finally can just like be myself and just yeah. kind of be free. So I really hope and think that that is kind of what I allowed to happen. Yes. In, yeah. in my opinion. Yes. No, I think you're right there. Um, uh, it's a grand production. It's, it's quite huge, actually, when you, when you uh, sit back and look at it for an independent film. Um, so you've done all of this hard work to get to this point that uh, you're ready to start shooting. Can you describe your first day on set for us? How did everything go? First day on set, I had to pick up my passport from uh, the, uh, the the embassy. And it was like, I've I pushed it off for so long that they were like, if you don't pick it up by this morning, we're going to mail it back and you're going to have to. So I left it off at the worst time. So in the morning... <laughs> Juan was the first AD. I went only up to Juan and I was like, Juan, I have to go and I'll oh, be back shit. in an hour. So just don't say anything to anyone. You're the only one that knows this. If you just, and then we were supposed to like uh, rehearse this, like walking into Sienna's, uh, this one shot uh, that I tried to pull off. And then the, we had like uh, this gear that was malfunctioning and I wasn't there to kind of, you know, figure out a solution to it so when i come back it was just like Juan was like dude where were you i was like i was getting my passport like yeah and um we it was it was it was a lot of people on set it was very exciting for people that were like oh my god they're starting to film so we had a lot of extra hands um which to, in my opinion a lot of times is unnecessary and it makes things more crowded yeah. and um you get just one too many opinions and one too many whispers uh that workflow can just really get reduced but anyways we get there and uh we we film what we needed to film uh over the course of two days we had to end up reshooting uh the whole sienna's part oh, no. because there was some um uh, acting uh scheduling issues oh. so we I had to recast and that's why originally i was the loud mouth the guy that's chewing at the table. Right, right. I, like we have scenes where I 
was that character yeah. like originally where yeah. I, I played him that day like and uh and somebody else played the part the muscle the 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 henchman that i played mm-hmm. so i had to reshoot those days so um we filmed at sienna's more than once that is amazing. And just to, just to let our listeners know as well, Siena's is a, a beautiful Italian restaurant uh, in Leadville uh, in Perth. Yeah. Um, how did you get uh, Siena's on board? I work at Siena's. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, wow. I work at Siena's. And Andrew Parisis, uh, he's the owner, uh, him and Anthony. Uh, yes. Andrew is a, he loves uh, cinema. He wow. is like, his, his cinema knowledge is unmatched. Like, yeah. James Dutfield is like uh, the DOP and the cinematographer for Rampage Electra. He's, you know, he's 19 now, but his like knowledge of cinema is like, like unmatched as well. But the only person that I feel like can, they can give each other a run for their money is Andrew. And um, he, you know, when I started working there, then he saw that I'm a filmmaker. I was making short films at the time. And he was just very much like, wow like you just go for it i'm over here waiting to like save x amount of money then to do a film but you're like in your early 30s with no money just going for it so i could he was very vocal about like his uh, appreciation for my passion and uh he's been he's been amazing the fact that he i was like was i was like uh could i ever film here he was like darling whenever you want like you know like don't even you know, and and he, yeah, he's just such a supportive and a genuine person. And um, you know, like he, I don't know, for me, it's it's a very uh, rare find a person like Andrew, mm-hmm. and uh, absolutely incredible for him to let us film there, and to support because anyone could at any point be like, nope, this is too much, this is it's done, you know. But like none of that, he was very very open and hospitable. So yeah, yeah. big thank you to him. Um, uh, I guess another important location for the film is is Fremantle Prison, of course. And uh, and again, to let our listeners know, Fremantle Prison is no longer used as a prison. Obviously, it's now listed as a World Heritage Site. And if you're ever in Perth or Fremantle, I recommend a visit. Uh, would Rampage Electra have worked without uh, Fremantle Prison? I don't think so. Mm. I wrote the script, being like I'm filming at the prison. I didn't I didn't reach out yet or anything. I just but I wrote, I, I didn't know where I was going to film, but um, uh, James Dudfield, he did a short film years ago where they allowed him to film there one day. Oh. And he did like a like a silent movie. So it was uh, um, kind of easy for him to film without worrying about the sound and just move along through. So he um, had one specific shot idea, which we got in there. And... Uh, but when I wrote the script, I was like, this is going to be in an actual prison. I'm not going to. There's no other way around it. So, and at the time, writing the script, being like, I'm filming this at Fremantle Prison. People were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like it, it was just, um, it was more than they could think of. Yeah. So for people, it was like, this is not possible. And yeah. I'm like, and I know it's when you always present an idea that's outside of the realm of possibilities that their mind presents, it's always like, what are you taught? You're crazy. And I was like, dude, it's, 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 this is what's going to happen. And, and um, just perseverance, man. And just like, never, never, never doubting yourself. Even when you doubt yourself, don't doubt yourself. You know, like it's a, it's just, 
you know, like, uh, so yeah, the the prison was uh, very much in mind while I was writing it. Were you familiar with the, it's interesting that you said that about, uh, you know, locals being surprised that you were going to shoot there. Um, I guess, you know, we understand the history of the place and and we were taught about certain prisoners in school like Moondan Joe and, uh, and other people who were locked up there. Did you have an understanding of the history of the place? No, 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 no. I, I, no, it was very limited. My knowledge was very limited up until I went there and uh, I had four uh pretty much private tours where I was just going scouting the location to see what matches with what scene and yeah. oh, uh, and what order I'm going to uh, f- um, film these scenes and how I'm going to like orchestrate this whole operation. So it was like four times and each time um, the, they, I got like, you know, they, they took me all sorts of places that, and they, they told me which prisoners, stayed where they showed me places that we weren't allowed to film but we just wanted to show me like the hang room yeah. uh they they showed me um i forget the name uh this uh prisoner who stayed there with his wife and um there's like a special room of this like serial killer and they showed us that only a place only them two were allowed to be in so they just like walked me through as my like oh, so walking by an area they were like they would definitely just be like uh, inform me they should, in, the, in the church, there's a haunted glass yeah. that happened after, like, uh, I believe they executed a prisoner. Yeah. And then ever since that day, they say that there's the, the glass in the church has a stain on it. It's just pretty creepy. So, uh, yeah, they, they were they're very enthusiastic people and they love working with people that are like uh, their minds are like, you know, productive and uh and, and and it was very encouraging it was a very very encouraging experience yeah yeah they're very supportive of, of um you know local filmmakers um i know that uh, quite a few films have been shot there but nothing as big as this one obviously um yeah uh um th- there's so many extras in rampage and it, it might sound strange to bring this up but having such packed rooms and spaces is quite rare for indie australian films uh where did you find all of these people and and how did you uh, find managing them all at once. Um, I found them on Facebook. Right. Uh, I I just I just sent the word out. I put a very exciting approach. I was like, uh, you know, Rampage Electra is shooting its feature, and we want you to be our extra. Uh, a very uh, dynamic approach. I was just you know because I didn't I didn't I wanted to make it feel for everyone. Anyone can just like message and next day they're on a film set like i just um and i know the the, the reality of an extra is it's not an exciting thing to do yeah. the first you do it once you do it twice and you'll probably never do it again yes. you know and that's just the reality of it yeah. so i knew i had to like uh give people an experience that is a rewarding experience uh by making them feel like they're involved in something that's uh you know bigger than everyone uh and 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 the reality was it was bigger than everyone. They showed up. And um, so first we found them all on Facebook and uh, social media. And then they all messaged me. And I remember just being on my phone constantly, just messaging all these people. And then uh, Brittany's the, the production designer. She got a hold of everyone separately, got their sizes, their dimensions, their shoes, uh, sizes, everything. And then she gave each extra for the prison a number 
And then they came the day of like 6.30 in the morning. You had like 40 extra show up on time with a number. The day before, the night before, we were just like, okay, number one, this size shirt, this size pants, this size shoes. Are you serious? Put it all together. And then number two, number three. And then she orchestrated it to the T. So when they showed up the next day at 6.30, they were like, I'm number two. Boom, number two, all in the uh, coat hanger. You gave her the coat hanger and everything is there. So that's how we like, with her orchestration, and Juan was the first AD on those big day, big days, and I got uh, uh my friend Will to be the second AD, and Jack uh to be like the third AD. And those days was like you know forty people, so one person just rounded people up at the front and just make sure okay you're in the right place, and then the second person would walk them over to the third person, and then the third person would walk them over to the set. Wow. So there was like this planned orchestration that i was like we can herd a lot of people yeah all it does is simple communication that's all we need yeah and uh yeah that's that's uh we had at the high school we had like almost over 30 and then yeah. for the prison we had almost over 45 50 unbelievable i'm glad i asked that question there's a, a good little story there um yeah. i i've got so much respect for all of the actors who are in this film and I mentioned Fiona Cooper earlier she gives a terrific performance um, yeah. and having been a part of the WA film community for so long now I've watched many of these performers uh, develop their craft over the years um, but someone who's really making their mark at the moment is Michaela Levy who stars as Hannah in the film the main character um, Michaela's going from strength to strength at the moment with another feature film due out later in the year called Sweet As uh, which is directed by Jub Clare, and it's winning awards all over the world. Um, I feel like Michaela's, you know, I've just got a feeling about her. She's going to be uh, a little bit of a star. Can you tell us a bit about casting Michaela and, and what she brought to this character that perhaps you weren't expecting? Um, I casted Michaela because I just asked my team. A lot of the casting came down by trust of my teammates, of them, their recommendations. Yeah. Uh, James Duffield, I was like, who do we cast for the lead? He was like, Michaela. I was like, why? Because he was like, because she's the best. Yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough, you know? And uh, she absolutely is. And um, I worked, working with her, um, you know, I'm 32. She's, I think she was 17 or 18 at the time of filming, you know? So she was uh younger so I, I had to be um uh very mindful at all times of uh the age difference yeah. for me to make sure that we're in a very constructive place and a very um uh, encouraging place for people to uh, be themselves mainly the actors because they're the ones that are performing so they're the ones that are uh they need to have the most uh, relaxing environment where there's no other pressures other than their performance on their mind. So mm-hmm. um, so that's how I casted her. Working with her, um, she brought to she what she added to the role was just like her own like youthful rebellion, mm-hmm. where there are moments where uh, the scene, when you write something, uh, you think sometimes it happens quicker, but then when you film it, you realize there's these gaps in between that are just like silent that, you know, sometimes you, you, you forget to account for, you don't realize. So in those moments, she would like uh, improv lines and, you know, we kept all of them in the, in the scenes when they're escaping the prison. Um, but 
like in those moments that's like when she makes these decisions for a character and it's just like these uh in my opinion like rebellious um uh voice to the character which adds that element of i can never truly write dialogue for an 18 year old girl yes, yes. Uh, so her adding that authenticity um was something very valuable yeah. and uh she definitely 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 uh enjoyed uh moments where she was like okay well, there's an opportunity here i get to do what i want mm -hmm. and in that moment i was like i'm going to do, i'm just going to um be okay with this whether however i felt about it in that moment uh i was like it doesn't matter because this is a authentic genuine moment and this that's the most important thing yeah so yeah um uh, she's been very uh, supportive of the film as well um, you know, she's uh, every time I see her on social media, she's plugging the film. She's attended all of the screenings so far. It must feel great to have her lead actor, um, you know, support the film so much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think all the all the um, actors are very um, uh, thrilled by the the level of um, the, the with the content for the final outcome. Uh, and I think um, for Michaela, she just she just loves it. She just loves being a part of uh of 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 um of an organization that just is stays on on track and um i think for her it's very important to be uh involved with people that help her um you know uh, take her to her final destination yeah. and uh i'm more you know like and and she's yeah she's always she's always said such nice nice things that sometimes i'm like is this just like you know she's reading off a script or she <laughs> genuinely feels this excited but then as time passes i'm like no she genuinely is this excited about it and um she genuinely loves working with us so much and and um yeah i working with her she the way she switches on the moment you say action is I, i've never seen anything like it i've never seen anything like it in my very short film career um this is like you know definitely the first time i've experienced like this high level talent just switch on the moment yeah. you go action. It's like, yeah. boom. Terrific. Uh, I just had a thought, actually. You attended the Sweet As uh, Perth premiere at WA Mate. So, yes. you, so you you would have been watching Michaela on the big screen. Uh, that was a couple of nights before your film screened. What, what were yes. you noticing about Michaela's performance in Sweet As? Uh, were you picking up on things, having worked with her on this one? Yeah. Uh, I, I just... Honestly, she just I just picked up that she's an incredible, incredible actor and her yeah. state uh, and her screen presence is yeah. just so intense. Like she plays like this, uh, this uh, like this uh, more like outspoken character in yeah. Sweet Ass. Yeah. And um, it's, it was very refreshing seeing her be like the comic relief, you know, and. And just everything she's saying uh, was like just landed, and yeah. and it has and knowing of having worked with her, just knowing that this response is because she's an incredible, incredible actor, yeah. and uh, and watching her was amazing because she seeing this like the versatility in the role that she plays in Rampage Electron and seeing the role that she plays in Sweet Ass, yeah, it I, I just it was um yeah it was so exciting to see she was like the like to me she was like she played such a refreshing character yes. on the screen and uh, yeah 
and it really gave the audience a fresh breath of air every time you saw her. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. powerful weapon. Yes, you're right. You're right. I can't wait to see what she does next, uh, as well as you yourself as well. I'm I'm really looking forward to following your career. So so uh, you've had these screenings now. You've got another screening coming up uh, at the back lot. Um, yeah. You and I spoke a little bit earlier before I started recording the podcast about where the film's going next. Um, but what what are the plans? Uh, you know, just for our listeners, we, we've we've got listeners from all around the world who are probably listening to this, saying, "Hang on, I'm listening to this podcast, but where the hell am I going to see this film?" So, um, so what's the what's your plans for it? Well, my plans is to just kind of uh, let the festival route. Uh, see what where else it goes i've submitted into melbourne sydney uh toronto there's a few places in uh europe and i'm just seeing where it goes um but it's it is a it is a it is a challenging process because it was a non-funded film so um there are challenges that are coming with it so i'm going to just let the, the give it like six seven months to see where the festivals go and then um, I'm just going to um, screen it myself at different cities around the world and um, just uh, uh, get advertisement uh, space on like local channels and uh, just save up and, and just um, promote it myself. And then afterwards, I'm just, uh, um, there, there's just, there's a few um, local uh, distribution uh, companies that, um, are interested in you know helping me get it out on dvd mm-hmm. uh but i, I want to wait to see kind of the response of this before i talk to any distributors uh but it's still exciting to uh have this conversation as well yes yeah and um it deserves to be seen on the big screen too so yeah it's great that you you've got that in mind uh, a lot of filmmakers might just you know too easily let their film go out onto dvd um, no, this, I don't, this I don't one want... deserves to be seen on the big screen. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. for me, the 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 theater experience is what I want, what I'm striving for, and uh, yeah, it's going to be honestly a year before I put it on DVD because yes. yeah. there's so much time, and I and I have I, I, I'm not at the end of my road where I'm just like just get it out of my hands, you know. Just I'm just happy to pass it off to whoever because I'm so exhausted by it. Not at all, like. I'm exhausted at the end of the day and I go to sleep and I wake up energized. So it's, yes, yes. you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's no issue for me to kind of play the long game and wait it out and just, you know, be very patient. And, and as opportunities um, present themselves, like just capitalize. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners out there, we, you know, cinema Australia will be plugging this film as much as we can, you know, over the next few months. So um, keep an eye on cinema Australia for, for screening details as well. Um, I've got this, uh, I've got a final question here that I ask every guest uh, at the end of this podcast. Um, and, you know, not everyone is, has got an answer for it, but most people do. But have you seen any Australian films lately? Any Anything new that has stood out for you? I know you mentioned Bad Boy Bubby and we were speaking about that earlier, but um, th- this particular question is focused on uh, new Australian films. Have you seen anything that's caught your eye? Uh, I mean, I watched Sun, Moon and Talia. Like, oh, so yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if that, I mean, I, that, that, uh, that counts, I think that counts, right? Or you oh, of course it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, w- I would like to definitely, um, Sun, Moon and Talia was, I think a very, very, very beautiful film. Yeah. And, uh, to me, it was like watching a whole movie that was a Shakespeare play. Yes. The, 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 the potency in writing 
is just every line of dialogue is is you can just like you can wrap around your mind four times it's there's a lot of profound um words in that movie and it's a feeling that stuck with me more than just leaving the cinema like i i continuously slowly think about it and i've reached out to him uh and and, and i'm forcing my way to be his buddy because <laughs> i was just like yeah because i you know like i i love his style love his approach i when i talked to him and his the team after the uh his premiere his screening um i just loved the energy that i was receiving they were all it was it was a very uh, beautiful moment for me and uh, Brittany. We went over there and we talked to them, and and I'm still in touch with them now about you know helping uh, the, possibly getting involved in um, uh, maybe doing some sound work uh, and uh, for the next screen that he has. But uh, yeah, I would say um, to me, Sun Moon and Talia by uh, Arnold Carter is yes. definitely um, one that I, comes to mind. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought up that film. That's it's so good to hear. Um, it's it's a very very special film. Hasid, uh, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's thank uh, you for having me. No, yeah, no, no worries at all. And uh, please keep us up to date. And uh, for our listeners out there, again, uh, check out cinemaaustralia.com.au for future screening announcements. Hasid, thank you very much. Oh, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok.